welcome back to 50 Years of Fun. I'm Scott Miller. And I'm Matt Roberts. And this is the audio fanzine where we discuss the first 50 singles on Creation Records, a record label started by Alan McGee in 1983. Today we're discussing Creation 10, The Legends. Ten. <laughs> the Legend Destroys the Blues, backed with Arrogant Bastards. This single was released in 1984 and was recorded by Joe Foster at a mystery studio of some sort. And later on, we'll be talking to who else? The legend himself, Jerry Thackeray. It's not many, not no one else you can really talk to about the legend, but the legend himself. So our first return guest will be on. Uh, but first, we will be discussing this rather prickly single. Very prickly. Uh, why don't we start with this um, Maximum Rock and Roll review? Scott, do you call okay. it Maximum or MRR? <laughs> Uh, I guess I when we were talking about it earlier. I did refer to it as Maximum. I think because I worked I worked at Tower and that was called we would call it Maximum. I don't know, but ever I don't know. M- MRR seems more the thing to say. I don't know. I'm just fascinated that this record got reviewed in the uh, California hardcore zine. Well, I guess it yeah, did. It well, had worldwide impact at that point, didn't it? I don't know. Sure, I like I like the thought of uh, the creation. Offices packing up the single and sending it, a, <laughs> filling it a little customs form out. Very weird. Uh, what, okay, hey, let's hear it. Tim, reviewed by Tim Yohannan himself. Tim Yo, the, R.I.P. the creator of Maximum. Uh, don't be fooled by the cartoon of the guy in a Ramones t-shirt on the back cover or the frantic maniac on the front cover. This is not wild shit. It's more of a birthday party type minimalist rock. Well done, but not in italics crazed. Hmm. I, I disagree. I think it's a little crazed. I mean, it's. Not, I would say it's kind of wild shit. <laughs> it's definitely wild shit. I mean, if you're <laughs> if you're trying to compare it to like hardcore punk, yeah, then. Sure. But I, this is this is punker than than that. It's punker than punk. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, this is. I mean, if you look at the MRR site of the reviews of Creation stuff, there's I think there's eight, maybe eight records reviewed. Uh, it's all all the earliest stuff. So they were sending it and probably just stopped after a while. Either that or Maximum was just like, this isn't punk. But like even the Mary, the Mary Chain Upside Down review is like, oh, this is interesting. It got <laughs> wait, you I I had no idea that record got reviewed yes, in Maximum. Yes, That's incredible. Yes, also Jasmine Minx, uh, both did, I think both X Men singles. X Men, the X Men are the favorite at Maximum. Did you they out both, research both me? Get, this, this, I'm getting out researched on this episode. Damn. Oh, you know, here's what I did. I clicked the creation link. <laughs> Membranes, slaughter. I fall. I'll follow you down. Jasmine Minx, upside down. I'm Viral shocked. Meet well, Whiplash. So yeah, they did. They did review. I think eight singles. The California Connection. Yeah. Well, okay. So I mean, I would say. I, we've been talking a lot about this single. It it is uh, from two big legend fans. Uh, I would say this is my, I gotta be honest, my least favorite legend single. It's so it's when you start with the, so the A side, "Legend Destroys the Blues," is just a totally atypical legend song to begin with. You you can't you can't understand any of the, any of the lyrics at all, not except for the word "the legend." That's the only only thing that that is intelligible intelligible even from you you didn't uh even even for me and i tried didn't put it through the millerator nope i didn't i could not get any (laughs) of it and and i mean i I, this song to me sounds as though it were probably possibly composed on the spot potentially in the studio it is a full band so it's ripping in that sense joe foster is at the controls it has a groove it has a solid groove i would say he has gotten the creation drum sound that is that is i feel like he was like okay 
I'll get the drum sound and then I'll just kind of see what you're going to do. It is, it's like a, this song, it's like a completely unhinged cramps playing through really broken amps or yeah, something. It's, 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 it's fucked up sounding. And it's, it's just sounds like a, it's like a bad mood. It's like not really, uh, it doesn't feel like it's, it doesn't feel like, it feels like he's enjoying it, but it feels like it's not necessarily meant to be enjoyed. Uh, it's it's I I mean I, it's like a it's like a fuck you to music. It's it's uh, it is it, it definitely it's yeah it is like a bit of a middle finger. I would um, say I I decided I think it sounds better on headphones. I know that this sounds uh, absurd, <laughs> but it is so grating. It is so grating that I think Matt it actually. Told me you listen to this on headphones, and I was like, you are fucking crazy. <laughs> I think it sounds really good. It's not it sounds better on headphones, and. I don't know. It's nasty. It's, it's nasty. nasty. It, it's, it's, everything is so loud. It is harsh. It is a harsh yeah. record. It's like it's yeah, it does it's like no genre music. I don't know. Also, it's like uh his vocals are on are so strange. It's like if if Fred Schneider was straight and just really angry. I don't know. I can't I can't describe it. Yeah, and I mean it's 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 a single I I was we were talking about this. I was I, I as when we when we did the episode on the first single in 73 and 83. Uh, I, I came away with from that single with a far more favorable impression than I was expecting. Um, you know, kind of we agree that it was, you know, gotten it gets knocked because it's on this, this, you know, soon to be very influential label. It's the, but it's the, you know, the first thing on this label doesn't really sound like anything else on it. But standing on its own, I really came away, you know, by finding it to be somewhat charming yeah well i mean because uh, yeah, i think we had it's like i think it got dogged well i don't know i mean i think it, in in comparison to other things on creation but it doesn't fit it's more of like an it's like art music they but well they both i mean i'm the i mean and i'm very susceptible to this but they both they both have the same thing going for them whereas the first single i was like oh oh this single sucks quote unquote and then i was like no it doesn't and this single i think what if i wasn't weren't really thinking about it i'd be like well this is the better of the two legend singles on creation destroy the blues but now i'm like well maybe it's not actually i'm sure i'm definitely sure it's not I, the first one has more the first one's just more legend this one is like what's he trying i don't know i'm not sure what he's trying to do with the a side well and or maybe you didn't even think about it that that far well, and the other those other creation singles that come out, so it's more. Yeah, it yeah, seems sure. like it's like it's like a response, potentially a response to all this melodic music, and just being like, well, I mean, if that's what you want, then you're going to get the opposite. Yeah, I mean, then it's so it's weird. I mean, we kind of felt like it. I mean, I'm not sure. We'll ask Jerry soon enough. Uh, I'm not sure that they're still friends. Him and Alan are still friends at this time so it sort of seems strange that there's a second legend single it is odd it it odd, and it really doesn't look like a creation single it sounds it sounds like it does not sound like a creation I mean, single you, that's for you, sure there's no the, there's no label listed on it that you wouldn't know it was on creation unless you opened it up 
Yeah. And it is, I don't know. I mean, I, I still like it. I still own it. I actually think that that there is, it has a groove. It is really grating, but there's something, I don't know. Well, we, we didn't really, I don't know. We haven't talked about the B side. Arrogant Bastards is more, it is more of a legend song, but it's, it's more of a, I mean, that's a, it's a song that he's had, uh, cause there's a version of it on Alive in the Living Room. That's to, to, to me is more enjoyable. This one's loud and fast, it's a little bit slow, it's because I don't have any chords. And it's like more in his sort of post Patrick Fitzgerald world of like, um, I don't know, outsider DIY he's not, music. He's not really, I feel like he's somebody that loves punk. And I know, I mean, I'm sure he loves loving like the birthday party and the cramps and all this stuff, but he doesn't, it doesn't seem like loud, vo- like, like high volume is really suited f- for him. And so uh, if you listen to Arrogant Bastards on Alive in the Living Room, it's like an, you know, sort of an out of tune guitar, but it's kind of soft. It's like the chords right, are, right. it's not like clang through a loud amp and, and his vocals are very front and center. Uh, you know, the Arrogant Bastards, it's like, it's, I think of that, when I think of this song, I think of that, I realize I think of that version. So yeah. This version has that nasty, nasty, this is, <laughs> there's no drums, there's nobody else, it's just Jerry on this one. And it is the nastiest fucking lead notes starting it. It's just so like, ugh. It's, I know, <laughs> I hesitate to use the word rasty because that's a Sacramento word. That's some, that's like nasty, but gnarly. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe my friend Ed came up with that. But it, when I first came on, I was like, this is rasty. It's just fucked up. See them come, swagging to town. Quick clips to a penny, it's the Algon bastards. Stopping a month for the pass by the benefits of the red witch. Stepping boldly on the clacks of the pavement to the Algon Bastards. The Algon Bastards. The Algon Bastards. The Algon Bastards. I mean, it, I feel like he came up with the title. Like, Legend Destroys a Blue. Great title, right? You're just like, yeah. this is going to be good. Like, how can this fail? <laughs> and I can't tell, I can't say that it failed. I don't even, who knows what he's going for. Only, I, only don't know. I actually think he may have accomplished what he was shooting for, which is like being really grating and kind of pissing off everybody, which uh, I think he probably accomplished it. And again, and any, any criticism you're hearing from either of us is from two legend fans who, who would, <laughs> who, and, 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 and also that soon after this, one he puts year out later, multiple, puts out, yeah, great, multiple great records. beautiful records, not on creation. So he leaves this melodic they, they, they would label. Fit. I mean, if those records were on creation, <laughs> that's like funny to think those would have be fit. Like well loved. Yeah, totally, totally. But you know what? That would have been much too easy for him to do. Yes. I think, I think that's true. I think that, you know, he's, he's, a, he's very much, a person that's like today this is how i feel and so this is what i'm gonna do and it's you know you gotta love it and and, and if it's agitating then all the better yeah i believe matt said when we were talking about it earlier that it was punker than music <laughs> yes i think i think it might be punker than music it's it's uh i and 
yeah, it it is a, a fuck you even to punk. Yeah, fuck you to creation to all bands. Genre, fuck to, you to, to, I don't know. To, to all and, genres and to me, of just, music. Just like Alan was like, okay, this is coming. This is on creation. No one can tell, but this is this is creation ten. Like it or not. What do we have left to say about it? I guess that's I it. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it. It's got the same art. It's got the pin back, pin your ears back, wimps. The art on the on the front, same same the David Smith art. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think we need to talk to Jerry about that to get to the to get to crack this thing any further. I think let's get let's get into it. Let's talk to Jerry. TV Time sets the scene for more new autumn programs on ITV and Channel Four. We introduce the main characters and the actors who play them in Jeffrey Archer's best-selling political drama, First Among Equals, and meet vivacious Francesca Annis on the set of Inside Story as a foreign correspondent in this fast-moving newspaper serial. Follow American football on Channel 4 with our great poster offer, and it's your last chance to winning lines. So don't miss this week's TV Times. Hey, Matt, will you get that? Uh, sure. Oh, look who it is. Okay, Jerry Thackray, welcome back to 50 Years of Fun. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to have you back. You're our first repeat guest. And yeah. since you're back and we covered so much ground, I think we're going to try and be get really specific about this period. So I'm curious, what happened between the recording of the first single and this second single? Yeah. <laughs> um, what what did happen? Um, well, I guess what really happened between the recording of the first single and the second single, I think famously um, there's a story that after my first single came out, Alan lost so much money on it, he wasn't able to put another record out for a year. And I guess, I guess, I, I guess what really happened in the space between these two singles was that um, the living room, the club that Alan kind of um you know mm-hmm. ran um he ended up running it three or four nights a week i think even oh, wow. uh, i don't know if he always called it the living room but in a variety of venues and um i i guess what i, I guess the big difference between kind of where we're at for the first single and the second single which creation 10 is that correct it is yeah. 10 yeah um, was that um, the living room had turned out to be quite a success and kind of, you know, it was the place to be. It was it was the buzz. It was kind of where everybody hung out. You know, all the journalists um, from the music papers, I didn't realise that, but um, that was kind of... Sure, looking for the next next band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, and, and so Alan was able to release, you know, several singles which were a lot better received than my first one. Um, and I guess... The big difference was that creation, all of a sudden, creation was like a proper ongoing concern. Um, whereas, obviously, you put out a first record, it's you know you're, you're just kind of hoping. Yeah, right. So, so I guess that's the big difference. Um, all of it. I don't know at what point Alan left his job working on the railways. I can't remember that. Um, but um, obviously, at some point, I don't know whether it was at this point or maybe it was a bit later. Um, but yeah, so so I, I think that's the big difference. And I remember being quite well. I mean, obviously, I was an integral part of the living room, and I was I was the MC. I was the kind of guy who got up and made people laugh. Um, and I was that kind of. But I, I remember. I think if I <laughs> if I'd been self aware at the time, which I wasn't. Um, 
I think I would have been quite surprised that um, a second single was coming out for me at all. You know, I was I was think, looking at where tr- Creation was going. I was like, this is an interesting t- single in the trajectory. I mean, I know you had told us that the first one had not done well. So, I mean, you, so, I mean, what was, was there any different feeling putting this out? Like, was there more pressure on, on you or do you just continue well, as, as Alan normal? Alan had this vision. Um, Alan had this vision, I guess, f- from early on, fairly early on, that he was going to kind of make kind of one of his roster, the kind of rock and roll star, you know, the, the full on kind of, you know, no okay. kind of rock and roll star. And, um, he, f- and that was kind of what my second single was meant to be. I think he, I think it appealed to his sense of humor yeah. to have me as that rock and roll star because right. I wasn't that guy. Um, <laughs> but I think it really appealed to him. And then later on, he tried it. Um, he tried the same kind of approach, perhaps with a bit more success with Joe Foster. Um, with Slaughter oh, sure. Joe. Yeah, I, I think it was a similar kind of idea in the back of, you know, I mean, different people, obviously, but it was still kind of the idea of this kind of crazy kind of rock and roll individual kind of fuck you, you know, I don't care what you think. Um, but fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, um, just around the time he thought about doing that with me, um, the Mary Chain turned up on the scene. Right. And so... That I think I think that's what I'm saying about if I'd kind of you know been able to look at it objectively at the time, I would have been like, well, why is he even do you know because it's it's completely pointless you know why I mean things had degenerated to such an extent between not degenerated, <laughs> what's the word for it something like degenerated anyway they they kind of our, our relationship had dissolved to such a degree that when my second single was finally released with a great cover by um, Dave Smith, um, mm-hmm. the Ravens man, who's one of my swinging soul sisters. Um, <clears throat> pin your ears back, wimps, I think it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and when, it, when it finally did appear, um, I actually um, had to go into a rough trade records in Labrick Grove and buy um, 15 copies to give to my friends because me and Alan weren't speaking. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I wow. got accused by the guys behind the counter trying to rig the um, independent charts. <laughs> <laughs> you sold 15 copies to one customer. <laughs> you would not believe it. <laughs> so, so, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, 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 as I said, I think the reason it came out, I, I, I think the thing about Alan is he's, he's quite, I think fundamentally he's quite a loyal person. I mean, I know he's had his falling outs with people, but I think that's the other side of being loyal. Um, you know, yeah. it's kind of, you know, it's the same side. Yeah. To, sure. The same coin. You know, you fall out that badly because you're that loyal to people, and I think maybe all I was, in or all out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think there was probably a degree of that in there why he still put it out, even though you know obviously he wasn't going to be. It, it didn't get any promotion. Obviously, it didn't. You know, I, I don't think I did a single. Interview I mean, it's interesting. I'm looking at the, it doesn't even say Creation Records on the cover. There's no. There's nothing on the cover at all. Mm. You to, to indicate that's even what label it's on. I thought was interesting. Yeah, it's um and and obviously Dave Smith, who did the cartoons for the um, front and the back, kind of he had his own unique style, but it wasn't one that they used. On right. Yeah. The other creation yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of, but I, I think um, I mean, in reality, I think actually the the B side, although it's kind of weird, um, would have made a better A side than the actual A side. Mm-hmm. It's well. I mean, as I was listening to it, I was like, the, obviously, the destroys the blues is more of a ripper. 
but I mean, Arrogant Bastards is more of a legend song, kind of, well, yeah, in a way. Or, I mean, or, or what I what I perceive as being a legend song. Yeah, the Destroy the Blues wasn't a legend song at all. That's one of the other weird things about it. I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, what it was, was it? Um, I, I it was I, I come back who actually wrote the guitar part to it, whether it was Alan or perhaps Joe Foster, because I think Joe produced he did and that's funny because we were talking about how it's the first kind of gnarly sounding guitar on a record and it yeah. doesn't it's not that different than how the slaughter slaughter joe solo sing first single yeah that's, i was saying it was kind of the template for slaughter joe and in its own way kind of the template for the mary chain i'm not I'm for the we were saying that too yeah, yeah. i mean it's got neither of us wanted to be the one to say does this pre does that guitar sound predate the mary chain? we didn't we didn't want to say the phrase proto mary chain <laughs> but now it's happening <laughs> Yeah, but, but yeah, I th- you know, um, the Mary Chain had quite a different guitar sound when they first came to London. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, the song, no, I didn't. I'm, I probably wrote the words. I mean, <laughs> what they are. Yeah, um, it's probably the only legend thing you can't understand. Maybe yeah, three of the words, um, one, but, one but being the, the legend. Um, but the guitar sound and the um, now it can be revealed where it came from. I know exactly where it came from. There's a record released around the same time, maybe six months earlier, by a really great band called the Three Johns. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, oh, right. John Langford from the Mekons and a couple of other Johns. Um, yeah. They put out a record called AWOL. Yeah, that's like I've got that. And that's where the guitar sound is unashamedly ripped off. I think it's in the chords. This is why we do this. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely, like you know, shameless. I think I think probably John Langford knew and he thought it's funny. <laughs> the, so that the, will lead me to ask though, who pl- who plays on this single? I, I, I can't remember. I, I, I've got a very vague recollection of. I, I think we just. I, I think. Um, I could be wrong. I might be making this up, but I, I, I've got a vague recollection. Joe's approach to producing the record was just basically to pour as much whiskey down my throat as possible <laughs> so I could keep rocking my voice and then have me scream out the, the vocals as, as harsh as I could so I couldn't speak for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> it's 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 funny that you that you mentioned the the how you described it coming out when in in uh, the story I had created in my head that was that it was sort of a fuck you to the pop direction that creation was going. It, it might have been, but it wasn't on my part. I mean, I I was just told. Um, I, I mean, this has happened to me at other labels as well. Weirdly enough, it happened to me when I signed to Constrictor in signed when I put out records on Constrictor in Germany, which is Philip Bow and the Voodoo Club's label. And it happened to me when I um, Sub Pop talked about doing a record with me. Um, I think all three labels had the idea that maybe they should do a disco record with me first before opting for something completely different. 
I, I can't remember what a creation. <laughs> I think it's possible, you know. I might be getting confused. Because <laughs> the drums on this single are pretty ripping. Like the drummer sounds. I mean, it it sounds like it's not as it's maybe not as together as like Colm from My Bloody Valentine. But it, it some of it reminds me of that first that Geek single of My Bloody Valentine, where it's still the deeper voice, kind of crampsy, but the drums just jamming around. It's yeah. got that kind of quality. But I was just there's no information on yeah, it. Yeah, I wonder really. if that would be. I wonder if it would be. Uh, would it? Be, it could be someone like. Would it be Dave Morgan? Was he was certainly around at the time. Uh, yeah, he certainly he does seem like sort of the go-to drummer. Yeah, and he he kind of I wonder if it's Dave Morgan. You see, someone like Dave Evans might possibly know that. Uh we'll ask him. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 filled in many holes for us. Yes. So um another thing that I wanted to ask is so around this time, so you're still doing you're still doing the legend zine, but then you start writing for enemy around this period, right? I started writing for the enemy. I had a couple of really tiny reviews printed in 1980. I could be getting confused with my single. Um, 1983, uh, I think. One was the X-Men. The X-Men, like um, ice cream on a hot summer's day. That was the first line. I remember that one. You know, <laughs> the first line you ever get printed. Um, I, I told you a story about being um, working for the enemy, did I? You know, it's... It- I, I, there's certain things I remember and there, and I have not re-listened to the episode. There's certain things I don't. So, uh, feel free to yeah, worst go case, forward. We'll have to hear it again. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Uh, I mean, straightforwardly enough, I was a screen printer at the time and, um, I used to spend my weekends coughing my guts out because we never had any ventilation or anything. We had pretty noxious chemicals in there. And one of those, uh, nights when I was coughing my guts out, I was thinking about something I'd written for my fanzine. Yeah, so I must have had my fanzine going at the time. Um, and thinking this is loads better than anything the enemy's ever written. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, when I got into work the next day, I stole a couple of sheets of photographic paper and typed up the review on the back of them. I'd, the idea I that this. I thought it was... Because it was the cheapest way I could do stealing this incredibly expensive photographic paper and actually typing up the review on the back of them. I don't, I don't quite know what the logic was, but um, anyway. So and um and then <clears throat> the enemy offices were in Carnaby Street at the time, just around the corner from my work, like about four streets down in Soho, London. And um, so I went down there and I rang their bell. They're on the second floor or something, I think. And um, they're like, "Who's there?" And I was like, "The legend." I want to. I want to see someone about getting something printed, or something. And um, Matt Snow came down. He was the reviews editor, of the um, enemy at the time. And I didn't realise afterwards until a long time afterwards that no one ever did this. You know, they didn't actually come down to meet people who just rang <laughs> until <laughs> now. But anyway, Matt Snow came down and he said, "Oh, the legend. I've been wanting to meet you. Um, in fact, I've been wanting to interview you." And I had to do like a complete triple quadruple take. I was like, "What? What? The enemy's heard of me? What? What?" And and that really. And I had to think really fast. And I was like, "What? You want to interview?" I said, "No. What you should do is you should print this instead because then I'll get paid." <laughs> Which seems like a sufficiently perfect answer for them to. 
<laughs> which yeah in the circumstances you know considering i probably ended up getting paid more than like 95 percent of the bands i ever interviewed um, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty good answer and um so he, he gave it a quick scan and and he said yeah we could probably use this he said as long as you stop comparing us to the sun UK and um and then I had to do another quad- quadruple take because I was like he's read my fanzine, you know. Ah, I didn't really cool. believe the music press knew anything, you know. I mean they were gods, you know. They were, it was the Bible. Um, so so yeah, so they printed that and they printed a review of a witness, which was one of the kind of John Robb type bands up north. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um the third review, it was the final night of the living room, at least at the Adams Arms. And um, it was the Mekons playing, uh, headlining the final night. And um, I did a review of it, which I've never seen again to this day. And that actually got a big lot of space. And I was like, wow. And then they were going to print this really big review, page review of the membranes, um, where I was completely ripping apart the Mary chain. Um, and then at the last <laughs> second, they didn't for whatever reason. And that set me back for a while. But you know, so that's kind of how it started. Uh, but well, this astute decision that you made really uh, informed the trajectory of your writing career. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I was never going to get rich being a legend, was I? Um, <laughs> um, you know, and it was compounded by the fact that I didn't like rehearsing. and I felt it was fundamentally dishonest. We asked people to test new Tyne brand frozen main meals for one. I was pleasantly surprised at the amount, actually, in the um, the meal itself, and so were the family. Um, spaghetti bolognese was as good as any spaghetti, uh, spaghetti I've had, I think, anywhere, really. I have to agree with him. It really was excellent. They all look good on the plate. Good balance of both meat and vegetables, herbs and spices. The quantity and the quality of it for 99 pence is very good value. New Tyne brand main meals for one. They're a meal, not a mouthful. And so, as far as as far as that goes with this single, was were these songs picked? Like, do you even remember? Was or do you just did you get to to say this is what we're going to do? Well, the, the A side, "Destroy the Blues." I think that was actually written in the in the studio when we were there. I think we'd rented okay. the studio. We all got drunk, and someone played guitar a few times and said, "Make up some vocals." So I made, make up some lyrics. So I made up some lyrics, and I tried to make them indecipherable because I was embarrassed about them. Um, and and so yeah, I think that was probably the first and only time it was ever played. Um, and then yeah. returned to the three Johns where it belonged. Uh, <laughs> and the, the B side was—I <laughs> I don't think you could call this a living room favourite, but it's certainly a song uh, performed at the living room any number of times. It was actually—I um, can't remember what the version on the B side is like. Is, has it got guitar on? Yeah, it seems like it's just oh, you, and it's very mini. overdriven guitar. Yeah, that's just me. Yeah, <laughs> that's my guitar skills. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it made the, it, it's that's the track that made it on a live in the living room comp of, from you. Yeah, so so that was a kind of living room, uh, not favorite, but <laughs> some I, I would memorable. Repeat. Let's anthem. Let's call it. Yeah, I, yeah. Would, <laughs> I repeat it every now and it was it was inspired by a headline. Um, in the NME, um, one of the very early Smiths interviews, uh, I think the, the headline was Arrogant Bastards. And the first line of it also was inspired by See Them Come Swagging Into Town, Quick Quips to a Penny. It's the Arrogant Bastards. It was the Smiths. 
It was kind of a little dig at the Smiths. And then, and then um, stumble, across, stumble across one sprawled out on the ground. Oh, that's funny, he says, as you try to sort out the mess. Doesn't care if he's right or if he's wrong. All he knows is how to stay on top. That's inspired by my former best friend, Ian, who kind of was my mentor when it came to music. <laughs> we almost got a performance of Eric Ambassador. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was starting to happen <laughs> right on the spot. <laughs> And, um, I think I, I think the trashing the Mary Chain and the Smiths. That's a quiet. I think that's probably about as against against the grain as you could go <laughs> at the time. At the time, yeah, possibly. I mean, I did. I, mean, I, I I do remember before we kind of. I do remember a conversation at Alan's house where he offered me shares in the company, and I just had to go and get some work in the studio. And I was like, "Fuck off! I don't want your money." <laughs> yeah. Could have done it with it now, of course, but you know, whatever. Yeah. And this single, the response to this single, any? I don't just, know what's the response. Same, I don't think same anybody, as the first. I don't think anybody paid us any attention whatsoever. Um, Oddly enough, if you if you uh, do an internet search for this single, the review that comes up is from Maximum Rock and Roll, the punk zine in in San Francisco by Tim Yohannan. Uh and I'm just wondering, how did it make it there? Well, we were we were in tune with fanzines, weren't we? I mean, we we were very in tune with fanzines. I had a very early correspondence with Byron Coley um, back in about eighty four, eighty five. I sent him my fanzine. He sent me Forced Exposure, and I had a few like that. Gerald Cosloy when he was doing Conflict. It was just it was the fanzine world, you know. I I, I was really the one place I was quite big in as much as they would pay my air <laughs> airfare to go out there was Germany. There was mm-hmm. a big fanzine scene in Germany. <laughs> And I would, there'd be full page pictures of me in the fanzines. And I, I, probably, I think they probably thought I was just weird. But anyway, there was a kid in Germany who had a shrine to me in his room. I saw oh, my God. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's a little weird. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so the Maximum Rock and Roll would have been – wasn't that a really short review, the Maximum Rock and Roll one? It is very short. It's it's uh it's positive. It's a positive review, but it is short. I think it mentions the birthday party as a potential oh, the, influence. Oh yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, I mean, I I was seeing the birthday party a lot at that time. In fact, sorry, just just to go ahead, go ahead. Rally a little bit there. In fact, my first ever recorded appearance on vinyl before the first creation single. Okay. Before the first creation single right. was the birthday party put out a split live twelve inch with Lydia Lunch. Oh yeah, drunk on the pump's blood. blood yep. And um Nick Cave was in the habit back in those early birthday party gigs in the UK of like handing the mic to the audience and getting the audience to scream down the mic. And you can hear at the start of this particular show recording at the venue in Victoria, London. And he's going, okay, you've got 10 seconds to express yourself. And there's a handful of voices all going, oh, oh. and then you hear this really deep bass, bass voice going, danger zone in the heart of the city, danger zone in the... And it's me. Oh, that's incredible. I can't, I'm going to, I'm going to have to dig it out and find that. I don't have that record anymore and I'm killing myself. <laughs> I don't think God it's me because you wouldn't know what was being sung unless you actually knew the lyrics. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have to find that. If I can find it, I will. A clip will end up in here somehow if I can find it. Oh, yeah, that's too good. That's really good. <laughs> 
So uh, since you've been since you've been on before, I'm not going to ask you the same. We're not going to ask you the same questions that we normally ask, but we thought it would be fun to ask you something different, which is um, so around the time that this single came out, the UK singles uh, tops of the indie UK chart. Um, Curious what you think of these songs. Your your thoughts on the songs that came out or that were at the top of the indie chart around the time that your single came out. Okay. Okay. Number one, Agadu by Black Lace. song we did not know i got to do 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 it was number one in the proper charts i think i could do <laughs> it must have been it, must it have seems been... like a song kind of like that i was equating it to don't worry be happy or something like that it is a real oddball in this list compared to all the other stuff i haven't it yeah, must it, well obviously it must have been on some kind of vaguely independent label it had to be yeah, I mean clearly, but um, yeah, yeah what well, it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, on Flair, a label I've never heard of. Yeah, I mean, Agadu is one of those records that pops up every now and then, probably in the US as well. It's I don't never made it here. I can guarantee out. you. Yeah, it's kind of the bane of your life when you go out, you know, to every <laughs> bad disco wedding, and kind of you know, <laughs> the lad following it down the street. Um, <laughs> right, late night. <laughs> I, I don't feel strongly one way or another about it, to be honest. <laughs> you know, it's like, whatever. It's like incy wincy teeny weeny yellow box. Yes, okay. There we go. That's, a perfect, that's perfect. <laughs> Up next, uh, William, It Was Really Nothing by The Smiths. Uh, yeah, you see, The Smiths only ever had about five good songs, and that wasn't one of them. <laughs> Fair enough. Perfect. Well, see, it was Up. really nothing. <laughs> Up next. Up next. Depeche Mode, Master and Servant. Master and Servant. I, you know, the first, um, the first three seven-inch singles, well, the first three records I ever got sent was the very first Depeche Mode single. And um, who was the other one? Something like that. They were really cool records to be sent as your first record, mute records. Yeah. And um, Depeche Mode, although I kind of, you know, they, they were too mainstream for me by that point. I'd kind of, but you know what? Before, again, long time before I ever met Alan, I did audition for a two-piece synth band um, in Basel and Essex, which is where Depeche Mode come from, I think. Yeah. Um, and they were absolutely Depeche Mode ripoffs, but they didn't want me, I guess, my hair. Oh, there had to be so many at that time. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, most and seven. You see, I, time has been kind on Depeche Mode. I reckon. I, I think they stand up really well these days. I agree. Um, in terms of what they used to do, uh, you know, some of that stuff's great. Most and seven is great, but I'm not sure I was aware of it at the time. Up next, all right. Marimba, Marimba Jive, Jive by Red, Red Guitars. Do 
Did you were you aware of the Red Guitars as a band? I, I knew the name. I'm not sure I ever heard them. They were kind of like the Chameleons or something, weren't they? They, were, they, were, they, they I could never get my wrong? head around them. They've got some really good pop songs, and then they've got some more political type songs. Okay, maybe maybe I had them wrong. I always thought they were like the Chameleons, but maybe they weren't. They were on. They were on. Uh, well, this one's on a, single, a label called Self Drive. I don't have this single, but I've got a. I've got one I really like. What was the song again? It's called. Uh, it's called Marimba Jive. Marimba Jive. Yeah, I, they they weren't like Red Lorry Yellow Lorry Right. No, 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 no. I think um, that I'm they not, do. They do fit. I think in the same uh, genre as the next one. And okay. The Price by New Model Army. Guessing not a fan, but I'm curious. I never liked them. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> you know what? When I went over to Melody Maker in late 88, early 89, New Model Army, um, you know, they were still pretty big. You know, they, they had a big following. None of the music journalists ever took them seriously. I was like, this isn't fair. They're a great live band. I should go and interview them and, you know, and put their side of the story. It's not fair on them. So I went off to wherever I went off to. And um, so I did my thing during the gig. I was dancing down the front because, you know, that's what I do. I dance down the front if I like a band, don't dance if I don't like the band. So I'm dancing down the front and I'm chatting to their fans afterwards. And um, I, I and their, their fans are really enthusiastic. And have right, they seem to have that fan and, I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm a complete fraud. Here am I. I'm just a fucking music hack. And, you know, and these are proper new model. And I felt really bad. So I had a cassette, a, an advanced copy of their album that um, Slay the leveler had given me so i gave one of the fans the tape because i was just like i'm a fraud i shouldn't have this um so i was telling this story to justin a bit later which is his real name um in the interview as a kind of way of starting the interview Uh-oh. and he looks at me and he goes you're drunk he says that is so unprofessional i would never get on stage when i was drunk and I couldn't stop myself. I was like, maybe that's why you're so fucking boring. <laughs> I've got to tell you, the interview didn't quite go as I had planned. <laughs> did it? Did it get printed? Yeah. Somewhere out there in the ether. <laughs> Let, let's do one one last one. So it goes Depeche Mode again, and then in December, seven weeks. The Toy Dolls, Nelly the Elephant. Oh, I love that. I love a bit <laughs> yeah. of Oh, my God. Oh, God, that's so great. That, there's, there's nothing not to love about that. You I know. know. That, like, I, you know, I was surprised to see that it was number one. Oh, so God, absolutely love the... Yeah. Oh my God. There was a radio station in Sacramento that played a selection of songs like from the UK that you, that when I was maybe 14 and that was a 
big one for them. And we loved it so much. I remember going to Tower and buying that first record. I was so excited. Oh, God, and have you seen the video associated with it? <laughs> Not forever, I'm sure. Oh, God, you've you got to see it. The singer is like the skinniest. Guy. He's so funny. I know. They came to Sacramento and played. It was on my first my first gig was Toy Dolls. And I was just like, mm. this guy is singing so fast. And they're oh, so man. energetic. It Like spit was just dripping out of the mic. It was so great. Uh, yeah, Toy Dolls, wonderful band. And um uh, Toy Dolls and Dickies, that was another great. Love yeah. the they're kind of a, they're kind of the American counterpoint. Yep. Yeah. One of my first great. concerts. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, absolutely wonderful. Well, okay. Uh so thank you so much for um meeting with us and uh playing along. That was really I'm really glad that was really, that was really, really the normal questions. <laughs> yeah, really, really <laughs> Any anytime we have another repeat guest, we might have to play this same game. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. It's really good to see you again. Oh, thank you for your time. Really great to speak to you again. All right. Thanks again. Good night. Oh, I can't leave. <laughs> it's like the Hotel California. All right. Thanks for listening. If you want to send us the Agadoo 12 inch for Micah Tops demos? Or maybe you played in one of these bands and want to talk to us, you can find us at 50yearspod at gmail.com. That's F I F T Y spelled out. We're also semi active on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And don't forget about that Patreon. If you want to listen to all of Creation Number 10, please check the notes. Whenever possible, we'll include other stuff in there. Next episode, we'll be talking about Creation 11, The Pastel's Million Tears. Thanks to the Reds, Pinks, and Purples for our theme music. See you later. Bye.